Hey guys, welcome to Millennials at the Movies. I'm Amy. And I'm Novi, and today's movie is Empire Records. According to Wikipedia, Empire Records is a coming-of-age comedy drama film that follows a group of record store employees over the course of one exceptional day. The employees try to stop the store from being sold to a large chain and learn about each other along the way. It's not streaming anywhere, but it could be rent or purchased from Amazon, any of the voodoo, anywhere. Um, and the Rotten Tomatoes score, 29 from critics and 84 from the audience. So it sounds pretty controversial. Yeah, there's a bit of a gap there. Um, and I feel like there usually is with movies. The audience usually gives it a much higher rating. Um, so yeah, so this story is mostly revolving around these teenage and 20-year-old kids who work at Empire Records, uh, and then their boss, Joe, who's trying to figure out how to deal with all of their shit and all of the shit he's getting from his bosses up with having to change the store from Empire Records to Music Town, which they definitely don't want to do. Um, and I feel bad for him kind of the entire way through, although it's kind of his fault because he hired these people and keeps them there even when they steal $9,000. <laughs> Nobody does any work at all the entire movie. <laughs> Two people do work and then everybody else just kind of wanders around randomly <laughs> yeah. putting on bras and dancing and <laughs> playing records and that's about it. But you know what? If throughout the movie all these kids were just doing their jobs, no one would want to watch. Sure. Um, we have some very colorful characters and... I'm not sure that I could, like, I feel like every time I try to think of who's my favorite character in the movie, I always have a different answer for myself. (laughs) Um, Though I think it goes back and forth between maybe two of them. Um, But they're all great and they're all awful at the same time. They're real, which I really like about them. Yeah, it's hard to relate to a character that's just perfect all the time. And every character in this has really relatable flaws even though obviously they're dramatized to be in the movie you can sort of nobody's perfect and nobody tries to be yeah I feel like even the one that they make out to be the perfect one Corey um she's clearly not perfect and she's struggling with a lot of shit too especially when it comes to comparing herself to Gina um so even that character who's supposed to be perfect in everybody else's eyes definitely is not Well, she and Gina have a very interesting friendship because Corey is the intelligent one, the really, like, good girl, daddy's little princess type. Mm -hmm. And Gina seems to envy her for that. But Corey envies Gina because Gina is very open with her sexuality and comfortable with herself, and Corey isn't. Each of them feels like the other has something they lack. And while they are friends, there is, like, a resentment toward each other for having that one thing that they think would make them better yeah and like you said I think it is dramatized but that's probably a very common thing especially for teenage girls especially for ones who seem as close to each other as they are because they're constantly involved in each other's shit they know every detail about each other Uh, and this is before text messaging was a thing so it's really interesting how much they know about each other's daily lives um but when you spend that much time with somebody who's your age, there's got to be something where you're just like, I kind of hate that you have this thing because I wish I had it too. And 
sadly, it um, comes out in the worst of ways where they end up being really mean to each other. I feel like I feel like Gina being mean to Corey isn't even really being mean. It's just like, you think I don't know you are a speed addict and that, you know, that's how you're able to get the grades you get. Um, it was where, revenge. Yeah. And whereas like Corey is just straight up mean, which I'm sure is probably a result of taking too many speed pills. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just kind of blows up because they don't actually address it ever before in a calm and you know, reasonable way because they're teenage girls. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Gina is breaking down and she's crying, yelling. It's always about her. Um, I think Renee Zellweger does a really good job with that scene. Um, and it's so real and raw and just really powerful. Yeah. When she is going to break down, she, she breaks down. It is an ugly, smushy cry. And that yeah. is the kind that actually makes me feel it. Like, pretty cries do not get me. No, ugly yeah. cries have <laughs> me just sitting there like, oh, no, don't make me cry. <laughs> oh, yeah, I definitely didn't cry at all when I watched this movie. Any of the times I watched it. Um, but, yeah, so they. I think that storyline is interesting, especially because then there's them two who are different from one another, but also they're similar enough to be as close of friends as they are. And then there's the other female who, I mean, in that age group anyway, who is Deb. And her storyline is so totally different from theirs because she's kind of like the outcast. I feel like they're all outcasts, but she's the real outcast. Um, And clearly she has a fucked up family life. Um, and obviously she tries to kill herself. Um, and she's one of those when it comes to suicide where I'm like, I'm not sure that was really a cry for help, even though she says she tried to cut herself with a lady bick, a pink lady bick, um, and how difficult it was to do. But that means even more that she was really trying to kill herself and not just like, maybe someone will see and, you know, talk to me and help me out or whatever. Um, and I think that was really... The scene where she cuts her or shaves her hair off, well, she cuts it first. I can't watch her cutting her hair. I'm terrified watching her do that because I just feel like she's going to cut herself with the scissors. Um, but that's also another really pow- I, th- I think they gave all the powerful scenes to the females in the movie because that was really, she's not even, I don't think she's crying while she's doing it. In fact, I think she smiles at the end once it's completely shaved off. But it's so moving to watch her do it. Yeah, it's kind of a somber scene. Yeah, yeah. And um, her storyline is one I want more of. But there wasn't enough time in the movie, I guess. <laughs> well, I think the part that I particularly like most with her is when she's looking through the records and Eddie is trying to look at her wrist and he is just being mm-hmm. so gentle with her. And- And that isn't the character we've seen from him at all so far. And it's, it's actually surprising and very sweet. And he isn't a very fleshed out character either. And to show in the five minutes he's in the movie, him going to that really gentle place was great. I think that's where this movie really shines. It seems like this cast has known each other for a long time. You really believe that these are people who have 
been friends with each other, who've worked with each other, and they have their rhythms and their own little friendships with each other. Even if you only see them interact once, it feels like they've known each other forever. Yeah, and the fact that we do get to see, even though it seems like we've got Corey and Gino, who are best friends, and at the start, it seems like they're not really friends with anybody else except for maybe AJ and then slowly we see them interacting with everybody else and all those little tiny scenes that we get with everybody interacting with each other they just build on all of the storylines even more and all of the characters grow from like every scene and it's really great and yeah I think the cast did a really good job yeah and even characters who aren't in the movie much like Burko isn't uh, Eddie isn't yeah. There's a scene with Burko and Mark sitting on a couch teasing AJ about how he's probably <laughs> going to work at the record store for the rest of his life. Yeah. And it's just so, like, friendly. And mm-hmm. I like that they went out of their way to show that when they didn't have to show those three people interacting ever for the course of the movie. It made it feel like you were there and that you weren't just watching something from the outside. Yeah, and I think Burko is one of those interesting characters for me because I'm not sure if he even works there. (laughs) I know the girls go there and they wake him up and then he shows up at the store with his guitar strapped to his back and I'm just like, we don't see you, literally we don't see him do a thing. Yeah, everybody else fixes a sign or rings a register or closes the store and steals (laughs) $9,000. He plays the drums at the end and then he just kind of spends the rest of the day sitting in the record store kind of talking to people sometimes yeah he's the guy who walks around the store and looks like a rock star so that everybody that's shopping there goes oh cool look this rock star works here so we should buy our cds from this place or our records (laughs) now the real guy coyote shivers you should buy his cds they're really good in like a 70s rock sort of way i can i can kind of agree with that because i don't know enough of his music and that's not to say that it would not be great it's just I don't know all of his music but the ones I've listened to thanks to you um have been awesome and so yeah listen to his music um speaking of music though this soundtrack is incredible it's so good it's I think they just timed each song for each scene perfectly there was never a song that just didn't fit with the scene or vice versa it all just was like wonderfully done so whoever did that should get an award <laughs> and some of the songs are very niche 90s like a uh, little bastard mm-hmm. but when you get to like snake face or edwin collins a girl like you they could be playing those songs now and they'd still work like, I, they're very sexy songs a girl like you was a song i didn't know outside of this movie and of all of the times I'd watched it in the past, even though I liked it in the movie, I never bothered looking it up or anything. And I did this time and I listened to it on repeat probably about five times. So definitely still works today. (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk about Warren because this movie wouldn't be this movie without Warren Beatty. Um, (laughs) And I love that that's the name he comes up with and then later goes that's not my fucking name his <laughs> name's not fucking warren <laughs> name's not warren um I thought his yeah name was warren <laughs> that scene is great too it and is. 
all of it, this kid is like shooting up a store. He's so pissed off at this people. And in the end, it's just because he wants a job there and he doesn't think he'd get one. A, why would he not think he would get one? Look at all the other people that work here and do nothing. B, like, why do you want to work in a record store so badly, kid? Like, to the point of you're so pissed about it that you're going to shoot up the place? Okay, He's not even shooting it up. They're blanks. And <laughs> when he true. accidentally discharges one, he looks like he pisses himself. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, and the interaction with him. I feel like the interaction... And, and he's so, he doesn't even have a lot of scenes in the movie. There's only a few of them. Um, but I feel like Lucas and AJ both kind of... Even though they're like, yeah, okay, have fun in jail. Don't drop the soap and all this shit. And they actually do end up turning him in. It's like they've taken him under their wings, sort of, from the beginning. They're just like, we're going to teach you how not to be a little shit. Even though they are little shits, especially Lucas. (laughs) Um, His energy level, though, the way he screams and the way he laughs is just the shriekiest, most incredible noise I'll be back and you'll be sorry. (laughs) Yeah. There's also the scene where um, Mark is in there to get a bottle of water because Rex Manning is thirsty and wants a bottle of water. And Lucas asks him. I bet he does. What'd you say? I bet he does. (laughs) I bet he's thirsty. He's thirsty from beginning to the end of that movie, I think. Um, But yeah, he's there and Lucas is asking him if his favorite singer i can't remember who he said axel oh axel rose. yeah if axel rose would stop on the side of the road blah 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 and i just love that mark first of all the little timer ding i think in any other movie would just be like really even if it was this type of movie it'd be like did you really add a timer ding to him thinking is this a cartoon what the hell but it worked so well for this movie for some reason and i don't know why it's so hilarious um but then Mark says if he has a jack that he would pull over and help the guy. And then freaking Warren. <laughs> His crazy story that he acts out with Axel Rose speeding up and running the guy on the side of the road over instead of helping. <laughs> Mark <laughs> is too pure for this world. He really is. He's a beautiful character. He's... His Mark with a K, Mark with a C thing is probably my favorite thing of the entire I'll- I love how much he loved the Mark Sucks button. I know. he. It's like, oh, my band has made it. So I love that you did this for my band. It's like, you don't even have a band yet, sweetie. <laughs> and it almost seems like that was a show of friendship. Like, I'm not going to say follow your dreams, but I'm going to acknowledge your band thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the best that Deb gives as far as friendship. <laughs> Yeah, and that's really all someone like Mark would need. <laughs> um, even though I don't like a love story much in general, and I didn't like this one, especially because they tried to shove it down our throats. Like, look, these two pretty people who sort of interact here and there are clearly in love with each other. I didn't like it, but I get it for the story. Um, and I feel like if we didn't have it, maybe AJ being there wouldn't, really makes sense because nothing else is really going on with AJ throughout the movie I mean he's he seems to be the only one who actually listens to Joe and doesn't give him the hardest time in the world um and he's got the art thing going on and he's got great lines and I like him as a character but I don't feel like they gave him much outside of the you're in love with Corey 
thing. I don't feel like they set up the art school thing because at the very end she's punching and telling him if you don't go to art school, it's like, wait, what the fuck art school? Yeah, he never mentions anything about art school and then suddenly you have to go to art school. I'm like, okay. And it's not such a long movie that they couldn't have put in like eight words about how he stays at the record store because he's too insecure to go to art school. Yeah. He could have said that in conversation with literally any of the characters or somebody else could have talked about it, but they didn't do it. And then it just came out of nowhere. I feel like them, their whole thing came out of nowhere to me, even though we know that AJ is going to tell her by, what is it, something like 357 or 1230? Oh, it was one something. It's something like 37, I think, is the time. Which is... A, 137, a then. 137, yeah. And then Lucas, you know, says it's a great time. Excellent time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, even though we know that he's going to tell her, I I kind of almost thought initially when I first watched the movie, I almost thought that he was going to chicken out of it and not actually do it. And that maybe she would have done something and that would have made a little more sense because at least then it would have come from her and I would have believed that she had any feelings for him at all. But throughout the whole movie, I don't really buy it except for a few scenes where it seems like she wants to make sure that he doesn't go anywhere. So she has like a backup plan or something like that, you know. I'll say this. Not only did I not see the particular chemistry, but I didn't like them together as much as I liked them separately. I think that his moments with her were really low moments for him. He acted a lot of times like he was entitled to her time or her attention because he was such a nice guy. Mm -hmm. Like when you see a girl crying and buttoning up her skirt, it's not the best time to say, hey, so I love you. (laughs) Yeah. And for some reason, he felt like he was just going to do that. And that was not okay. And there was no reason for him to punch Rex Manning. He wasn't punching Rex because of anyone's honor. It was because the girl he liked wanted Rex Manning and not him. And he felt that it was okay to punch him for that. And that's not cool. No. And he seemed perfectly good outside of that. It's just when they get into the romance story, he becomes really fucking nice guy. I've been so nice to you. I've like inserted all the friend coins. Where's my pussy pass? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and even at the beginning, when the girls first show up to the store and they're trying to, they're doing the like loser, you've been here for five years thing. And then they start trying to wake Brico up and he's trying to tell them about the Lucas thing. He gets so pissed off that he can't get their attention. And I feel like that's a, maybe that's just a quality that he has when he's around people who get super distracted super easily, that he just gets so fed up. And it's just like, I'm trying to say something here. You need to be listening to me. Um, And it might just be out of frustration. And I feel like the entire day he'd been working himself up to tell her and he was just frustrated with himself and with like chickening out of it so many times already that he was just like, no, I'm going to tell you now. I don't give a shit what's going on. I don't care how you're feeling. You need to listen to me and you need to react well, you know, because he just got frustrated with it. Not to defend him in any way, but I think that's what it was. Just he didn't know how else to handle it. It could be, but, like, I loved his interactions with Lauren and with Lucas and with Deb. Like, his chemistry Mm -hmm. with all of them was so great. Hell, I would have been in full support of him having the, 
oh no I didn't realize it was love because it was more than love and we danced together <laughs> and like you grabbed my dick and then I fell in love with you Deborah. because yeah. at least they had some chemistry in the movie but yeah. it didn't seem like through Corey's whole thing it didn't seem like Corey was in love with AJ it seemed like Corey was like I threw myself at Rex Manning I'm hella insecure you say you're in love with me and you're safe yeah yeah and I think that's what it was like with constantly trying to make sure that he was still interested was just okay if nothing else works out at least I still have AJ so yeah it was hella complicated and I could have done without that whole thing but maybe if I were a teenager watching this in like the 90s when it came out I might have liked it and I might have been in full support of it because you know when you're a teenager you're an idiot and you don't understand so um I probably would have been in full support of their love story Mm. well we've been skirting around it this whole time but I feel like we need to talk about one very important thing oh which one Rex Manning Rexy so sexy (laughs) <laughs> the most maligned and misunderstood character of our times. <laughs> I'm going to just stand on the hill right now. Rex Manning did nothing wrong, as if, with the exception of if Gina was under 18, then he did something wrong. But if she was over 18, then he did nothing wrong. I don't think he did anything wrong. I think the thing I dislike most about him, I mean, he's a little whiny little bitch, but the way that he speaks to... Uh, Jane, his assistant, is probably my most disliked thing about him, which isn't even, like, that's the, that's the kind of job she kind of signed up for, so I feel like she is expecting it, you know? But I just felt like he was there to be the funny old guy who thinks he's still so hot and then is realizing through his interactions with the fans that either they they are like 70 year old opera singing women or I don't even know who you are this is for my mom um so it's his realization of that plus he had a bad haircut poor man um (laughs) but like it's it's just all of that and being in this shitty place where he used to you know, be in nice locations and have better chairs to sit on and all of that. So I can't really blame, you know, this famous star for being like, is this really what all that's left? Because even in the end, he says, maybe you might all be right when they're like putting him down and saying how his album was shit and all that. And he's like, nobody knows who he is or cares about him anymore. I feel like he's like, oh, you're right. I need to stop doing this. You guys are all right. Well, and I'm not even going to say that his attitude is great. He's a prima donna and he's rude to people. Yeah. But they, the employees of Empire Records, do not know that he's rude at that time. They're immediately hateful of him because he's uncool and he's old. And they're just such like hipster little shits that they're like, oh, we're cooler than him. He is not cool. We would leave him stranded on the side of a road (laughs) with no water. And it's like, he didn't do anything to you yet. (laughs) Yeah, there's no way you know that he's going to. And then he doesn't really. The only thing he does to any of them is punch AJ back, which he deserved. Well, and like the Corey situation, he tries to tell her she's too young she mm-hmm. says she's not. He agrees 
to do it after trying to convince her not to. And then when she changes her mind and leaves, he doesn't try and force her or anything. He lets her leave, says it's fine, doesn't push the issue, doesn't tell anybody. And then he sleeps with somebody else. I mean, you can argue that sleeping with a person at a place that you've gone to to work is not okay. You can argue that knowing that they're friends and sleeping with them is not okay. But that's ultimately not his responsibility to not do it. Right. And I don't know that he necessarily even knows that they're friends. He knows that they're coworkers and that they're friendly. But I don't think at any point he specifically knows that they're friends. Yeah. yeah. And as much as he's a prima donna about the chair, when Joe's (laughs) boss Mitchell comes in and starts whining about how they didn't give Rex any fresh fruit, he starts talking about how everything is great and it's fine and he's happy. To, like, defend Joe. And it's like, how are you guys being mean to him? He's defending you against your asshole boss. You should love (laughs) that. And it's so weird because at the beginning of the movie, most of them are excited for Rex Manning Day. Even, like, halfway through the movie, Mark, which I guess he's Mark, so he's always going to be this guy. But he's like, no, we mustn't dwell. Not today. Not on Rex Manning Day. You know, like, everybody's cool with it. And even though... There's that scene where they start dancing and AJ's totally making fun of it and giving Deb a hard time with the Rex Manning song. It still is something they're enjoying. And then it suddenly turns so horrible. And I think it's just a huge misunderstanding because they even judge Gina for doing it. And they're like, what, with Rex Manning? And it's like, dude, like, I'm sure she slept with worse people than Rex Manning. He's a good looking old guy. He's got a nice body. Uh, and maybe her reasons for doing it weren't great, but that's not what they're saying. They're saying, why would, like, how could you sleep with him? Not, how could you do that to Corey, but how could you sleep with him, you know? Yeah. And I think some of them had enjoyed Rex Manning Day, ironically, and some of them enjoyed it, like, right, like, for actual reasons, like, Mm -hmm. Corey and Mark really were excited, and AJ might have been sarcastically excited, but the real big problem of this movie is the way that they spend about three and a half minutes just flat out slut shaming Gina, and nobody is just like, hey, how about it's none of your fucking business who she sleeps with? Yep. And how about this is a workplace and yelling in a girl's face about how she's going to get old and her tits are going to get saggy is not a thing that you do. And like there were people in that room that were friends with both of them that probably should have been making some effort to make Corey stop yelling that shit. But they don't. They let her go through her entire speech. And then when Gina tries to get her revenge, they tell her to shut up. And it's like, no, fuck you. Yeah, and I think that's why Gina's scene, uh, the breakdown, like, crying scene was so powerful, though, because you start to see that, like, because she's the tough one, she's the one who doesn't really show emotion and everything like that, when she breaks down and she's like, it's always about Corey, you're, you feel so strongly for her, because it's true, it is, they always defend Corey, because poor little Princess Corey, nobody can say anything to her, but, like, she has so many breakdowns throughout the movie, though, I mean, there's the thing with Rex Manning, when she gets all pissed off, and feels stupid about it, and she's crying, and then yells at AJ, and then there's the Gina scene, but then there's, and then after the Gina fight, where she goes and throws a bunch of records around poor Eddie. Um, but then there's also this scene where she wants to take the lunch to um, Rex and Joe is saying how I think it's Burko 
or maybe yeah. So, yeah, I think it's Burko. Burko's going to take him to lunch. And he's, like, putting his foot down and saying, no, Burko's doing it. And then she just, like, flips out and yells at her freaking boss about taking lunch to somebody, even though I don't think she was even working yet. And then no. he just agrees. Like, he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't have a conversation about, hey, you can't yell at me. I'm your freaking boss. But, like, yeah, okay. He's having a long day. That's <laughs> true. Poor Joe. But, I feel so bad for him, even though he brought it on himself, let's be honest. But <laughs> I feel like that slut-shaming thing was a very 90s, like, Dawson's Creek, the quiet brunette that's a virgin is, like, the good girl that you're supposed to root for and sympathize with. And the slutty blonde ends up dying of cancer, a single mother <laughs> at, like, 25. <laughs> where it's just, like, are meant to see the virgin as the good girl, the yeah. one that deserves to be defended. And, I mean, that might just be a 1995 thing that's just gonna happen, but it sucks. It does, yeah. I'm I'm glad, though, at the end of it, when they do, everybody kind of apologizes to each other and makes up and everything. There's that whole thing of Gina being scared to sing and being afraid that she's going to end up like her mother. And that Corey talks about how she's so strong and if she doesn't want to end up like her mother, she's not going to. And I thought that was really good for not necessarily making up for all the slut shaming and all of that, but kind of at least making it a little better because they acknowledge that she's a strong ass bitch and she's going to be fine. She, if she decides like she doesn't want to do something, she's never going to do it. Yeah. And they do kind of make amends, but you also get the idea that with their friendship, when you Corey goes to Harvard, they're not going to call each other. No, never again. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I love speaking of Gina and her growth and her, singing thing um the end scene where it's such an unspoken casual thing that Burko does where he makes her take the lead and because it's already so like it's so she's so confident in the singing when she's just doing the kind of like background chorus vocals but then doing the solo is terrifying to her and I love that he kind of pushes her not forcefully so but encourages her silently to do it i know and how grateful she is afterwards is just adorable and yeah. that is pretty much the only moment in the entire movie you see those two interacting and yet there's so much friendship and love there and yeah, that's where the movie shines yeah, they don't give us a backstory. They don't show us or tell us that they've been friends and they, you know, they actually do have a relationship. But you can tell just by a look or a hug or whatever for any of them. And I love that. So I feel like we've already kind of talked about things that we really love about the movie. But I would say we haven't really mentioned anything we hate the like a thing that we just want to never see again in this movie and we want to just leave out altogether. Oh, I have one. Go. Uh, uh, the five minutes of Mark eating pot brownies and teleporting into the Guar music video. <laughs> oh, you didn't like that? 
it kind of felt like product placement, except I don't think it was. I don't think Guar paid them for this. It just kind of felt like the sort of thing now where it's like, oh, make sure that you spend at least a minute in a Mercedes in this uh, video. <laughs> it's just for some reason, there's that scene and you could lift it out and everything would still be fine. I don't think there's a, one other scene in the movie that you could just lift and it would be perfectly normal. Yeah. That one. I don't understand it at all. It just, it feels like it's a filler. They were like, we need five more minutes. So we're just going to throw this in. Or like maybe they recorded a scene and it didn't go as they planned. So they wanted to replace it with something else. And in the last minute, someone got high and was like, that's what we're going to do. You know what? It feels like there was a writer in the writer's room that was like maybe people wouldn't get the it's my special recipe extra sugar brownies joke so we have to like explain it for five minutes that it's a pot brownie and it's like no if you're not gonna get it move on these people don't deserve to get it yeah I feel like if they wanted to include it at all they could have definitely shortened the scene it didn't need to go on for as long as it did like it was it was just really strange and in the middle of everything that was happening especially it was like what are we doing right now what is happening why is this happening it was the moment of the movie maybe that they gave everybody in the movie theater a chance to go to the bathroom just like you don't care about this nothing interesting interesting is going to happen just go pee come back (laughs) yeah and it seems like if they needed to fill five more minutes for some reason they had so many more interesting things they could have done. They yeah. had characters that could have talked that hadn't spoken before to one another. They had more fleshing out they could have done of characters like Eddie and Burko that didn't have a whole lot to do in the movie. They could have made uh, AJ and Corey have a little bit of chemistry at some point one time. <laughs> But instead, they chose to go for that. And it's just a very strange choice. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, the weird one would be, and it's not like I hate it necessarily, but just another weird thing that I didn't understand the point of, I guess, is when Jane goes into Joe's office and is talking about how tough it is and how much she, like, hates basically her job. And then Joe unknowingly convinces her to quit. And then she leaves after that whole conversation they have. She leaves and then she comes back. And it's not like we get to know more about her. I didn't really sympathize with the character in any way. I kind of felt bad for her for having to be treated the way she was. But at the same time, I'm like, well, yeah, but that's your job. Everybody's got a shit part of their job, you know. Um, I didn't care about her, in other words. They didn't give me enough to care about her for. So that scene that didn't really give me anything extra about Joe, who is a character I care about and wanted to know more about. It did nothing. It like told us this information about Jane. And I was like, why do I care? You know, I think they were trying to do that, like happy ending wrap up where, Oh look, Joe had a hard day, but he's going to get a really cute girlfriend, but it didn't feel like it needed to happen. Whereas the, relationship that I was way more interested in getting to know about was Joe and Lucas's because I spent the entire movie going he stole nine thousand dollars for him and he's still covering for him the boss comes in and he's giving him a bag full of 
like flyers what why would he do this what yeah. is the point of this and every time the two of them had a separate talk away from the store just the two of them it just became more and more understandable that and by the time that we were told that joe had adopted lucas it was like oh okay now i get it but that was so much more interesting than Jane existing. I don't feel like they needed to add Jane and Joe's four second love story. It didn't bring anything to the movie. I don't believe that they ever called each other either. They no, I, yeah. on the roof, said goodbye, and then never saw each other again. And then I hope she went to Paris. I think she says she she's never been to Paris. Like, that's the thing, the dream that she wants to live. And I hope that she got to do that because, yeah, there wasn't really any chemistry there. It was like, these are the two adults. They're now in love with each other. It's, exactly. The movie doesn't do love too well as far as, like, romantic love goes, I don't think. But it does other things very well. It does friendship very well. The <laughs> um, dancing at the end is the perfect epitome of all of their friendship just watching because they switch partners and watching AJ be a doofus <laughs> with Eddie and with Mark and with everyone basically mm-hmm. is the best of his character whereas him and Corey was kind of the worst of his character it's like no that's the AJ I want I want friend AJ only <laughs> Yeah, um, I feel like we get to see him be so fun with, even in the previous dance scene with Deb and even with the boys when they're all joking around and stuff. And then in the final scenes of dancing, we see him being this fun 20-year-old or whatever he is. And then anytime he's talking about Corey or he's with Corey or whatever, it's just like, oh my God, you're boring and you're a little annoying and I don't care anymore. And yeah friend AJ was way more interesting. Yeah. Speaking of interesting, can we talk about Lucas for a second? <laughs> because AJ at the beginning said that Lucas was not always this like fortune cookie spouting. <laughs> he just came back as that after stealing $9,000. What the hell? I'm Okay, so I have a hard time believing he could be anyone else because in my head Lucas is the fortune cookie guy he just is um or the what I think AJ calls him the guy the old guy from Karate Kid but he totally is that guy and I don't believe for a second that he was ever normal um if he was I I can't even I don't I don't even know how he would be or why the sudden change would occur because even at the end once they're kind of resolving everything he still is that guy when he's sitting in the room and watching all of his friends and stuff and saying how everything worked out really well he still is that guy he's still not a normal guy he still is doing the weird thing (laughs) and he wasn't exactly normal at the beginning with his little well joe told me to count it twice and the way he reacted to the woman telling him (laughs) not to marry a tow truck driver just that like adorable little okay confusion he was not okay he just might not have been so platitudinal big word um he did it's fake I believe it. I, to me, all the big words you use are fake. But 
I love that he realized that this woman was hitting on him in the store. This older woman is hitting on him, clearly. And he, it takes him a second to realize it. But once she removes her jacket and says something about, do you believe that like life is already planned for you or that you can do one thing in, this, in the spur of a moment and it can change everything? When she says that, he knows he's going to get laid. And his reactions to her, in whether it's just facial reactions, physical reactions, or what he says are always very strange. Cause he's, it's not like he's a 17 year old boy. He's 21. He went and he gambled. He's 21. Um, so it definitely, he was some sort of strange. It's possible he got stranger that day because, you know, he just lost nine grand. Um, but he's always been a special boy. I believe it. I refuse to believe anything different. <laughs> he carried around the couch cushion the he entire did. movie. I adore that. And then in the dancing scene, when they're all dancing to Rex Manning, he's dancing with that old lady, and she's holding the couch cushion because he's spinning her. And I love him. He's he's one of the characters that I definitely always go back to as favorite, I think. And his lines throughout the movie are probably the most quotable. They're very quotable, but they are not my favorite quote. Yeah, so what is your favorite quote? Uh, AJ has glued quarters to the floor, and Warren is trying to pick them up while they're waiting for the cops to come, and he asks if someone glued quarters to the floor, and just dry as fuck, AJ goes, I don't feel the need to explain my art to you, Warren. And... (laughs) I go out of my way. I don't even do art. I go out of my way in my life to say that. Yeah. It's it's definitely one of the more quotable. Uh, there's so many of them, but yeah, it's one of the better ones. Um, mine is a Lucas one, though in my search for favorite quotes to see if it really was my favorite one, I found so many other ones that were, I feel like, less quoted probably from people, but... Just when you look back on him, you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this character actually said this. Uh, but my favorite one is when Joe is has just spoken to Lucas. He just got back and they're talking about it. And then Lucas says it, he thinks everything's going to be OK. And Joe says, why would you think that? And he says, who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. And it's one of the dumbest things anyone could ever say. But you can tell that he thinks it's so deep and he believes it so much because he adds a little "Uh uh-huh at the end and I'm like you are the dumbest adorable boy ever and it's just I want to use that all the time he says it with the most earnest look on his face too (laughs) he does it's so punchable (laughs) it's so great I'm sure Joe agrees (laughs) that the entire thing that they did right there where it's just like is it coming back from Atlantic City? I don't think <laughs> it, it's, it it's a conversation right that no human would ever have in in life yeah. but that makes it so much better in the movie. It does, yep. I also want to say another quote that maybe not would not be most quotable and is not my favorite one but just because Eddie is such an underrated character um, when he shows up to the store and says he heard something about Lucas and then he says 
I hear you went to Vegas and you married a mobster's wife and now you've got a hit on you and stuff. Is that true? And that's just so great. I don't know why. It's Clearly he knows what actually happened. Mark told him and Mark couldn't have made that up. Let's be honest. Um, but yeah, he, he he's just, I don't, I don't think people caught on to how funny he was, but I thought he was hilarious. He was. Yeah. So... I think we've covered everything, unless you had anything else to add before we give our own ratings. I do have one more thing to add, actually. Okay. Oh, Rexy, you're so sexy. <laughs> That's going to be the end of our mm. podcast now. Um, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Um, okay, so what's your rating? My final rating is a 76. It's a very quotable movie, likable characters, and it's super nostalgic for me because I watched it in seventh grade. Don't judge me. But it's kind of disjointed. A lot of the scenes don't go together. They feel like they're filmed and then it stops and it goes to something else. Hmm. And and some of the things when they're bad, they're real bad. Like (laughs) the slut shaming and Guar and Corey. Um, yeah um I feel like I only gave it a slightly higher rating uh I gave it 80 uh probably only because I hadn't watched it as a kid um so it was easier for me to watch it for the first time now and just have well now not now but you know the first time I did watch it as an adult um and just have that view of it So it wasn't like, oh, I loved it, and now I'm realizing all of the things that were terrible about it that I didn't realize as a kid. Um, But I just, I don't think there's any character in the movie that I wanted to not be in the movie. There wasn't really anything that bothered me much, and there usually is about a movie. There's usually more than one thing that bothers me a lot about it. So, And the soundtrack was so good, and it was so dry funny um and so quotable and I just it's probably one of my most watched movies nowadays so you know what it is it's what people think of when they think of the 90s it's not what the 90s were like but it's like the nostalgic view of the 90s like how people think that the 50s were like Greece but Greece was made in the 80s <laughs> yeah Okay, guys, come back next week. We're doing Heathers from 1989, starring Winona Ryder. And make sure that you check us out on social media. We are on Instagram, Millennials at the Movies, Twitter, Millennials ATM, and my personal Twitter account is Ami, that's A M I underscore movies. And mine is Cantaloupe underscore eyes like the fruit. See you next time. Bye.